Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I did a dueling question segment with Ryan Nolan. After we did uh, our other topics, he had some questions for me. I had some for him. He is not my youngest dueling question person, I don't think, but one of the younger ones. But again, a smart guy, industrious guy. He's getting around to all these different shows. Reminds me of my pace back uh, in my late 20s and 30s where I was going to shows all the time. And it was great, but it's tough to juggle. And we talked about that. So thanks, Ryan, for sharing your questions and your answers. And uh, thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's our dueling questions. What card has taken you the longest to find? The flippant answer is that it's been hard to find. I had a, a 54 Wilson Wieners Ted Williams. It's a really beautiful card, kind of white border, tough kind of condition rarity, tough hot dog card set anyway. And I lost it for 20 years and I couldn't find it. And I just found it a couple of years ago. But the price of it was zero because I already owned it and I lost it for maybe 30 years. I knew I had it. Somebody asked me about it. I couldn't find it. And it had been misfiled in some other box uh, where it shouldn't be. And I found it and something that made my day. But I think it's important to always have a quest. And my quest, I'm never bored at a card show. I'm going to see different things and, and at the national especially. But I don't maintain a list anymore that I'm looking for a certain something. Here's another way to answer the question. If you have enough money, if it's within your budget, then anything pretty much, if it's available, all the big auctions, they're coming up with amazing stuff coming out of the woodwork. And if you just want to pay the price, now it's a price that's a lot more than what I would have had to pay 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but there's more stuff out there now. And trying not to be a, an aggressive buyer, Ryan, that's that's not my secret to old age, but I've tried to dial back the passion for trying to have more cards. My stated goal is to have less cards by 1% every month. My question, you're a young guy. Uh, I think you're in a relationship. And I was I just am. wondering that a lot of women say, I wish my husband treated me the way he treated me when we were dating, when he was trying to win my heart. Because some people, after they get married, they, they coast. And then they go to a lot of card shows. You're already going to a lot of card shows. So <laughs> any relationship tips, how you can juggle work, hobby, and a relationship uh, that you'd like to share? Because sometimes being younger is better. So yeah, what, have so, you what have you learned? Yeah. So I'm not married, but I have a very supportive girlfriend. And she pretty much knew up front that I work on a lot of different things, especially like the card shows. And she really supports that passion. Eventually, I wanted her to travel with me to a lot of the shows. So that way, after a show, we can see the city or see a different area as well. Because that's part of the card shows, at least for me traveling, is not only to experience the show itself, but experience what else is around it. And for example, a few weeks ago, I went to Arizona. They had something called Innings Festival there, which is a rock and roll festival. And so I went to the card show. I grabbed some great Mexican food in Arizona. And then I went to the Innings Festival and saw some bands like the Foo Fighters, Tame Impala, and then Billy Strings play. And I turned it into an experience rather than just flying out to look at cardboard. So while I was at the card show, she ended up sleeping at the hotel because she was tired from the flight. And it worked out because when she was done with her nap, I was done with the show and we hanged out weekend. So try to find someone that if you're going to all the card shows, like enjoys the travel experience, but also someone that actually supports your goals. If your girlfriend or someone that you're going after relationship wise doesn't see eye to eye, maybe they aren't the person for you. Find someone that supports you along the way, no matter what hobby you're in. Just to follow up on that, I'm just realizing that there's guys younger than you or your age 
that were serious collectors back in the day. They collected when they were in their you know younger days and things like that. And they quit for 20 years. There's a whole bunch of people that came back into the hobby in the last couple of years. Can you imagine being the spouse that all of a sudden he said, hey, I rediscovered my childhood hobby. I'm gone for the weekend to Dallas. That would be a splash of ice water on a lot of relationships I, that, that you're having an affair with your hobby. <laughs> that it takes away your weekends and your date nights and things like that. I was going to say, it's funny because it's what happened with, with my dad though. He quit the hobby for a bit after he sold his shop. And then when I was born, he brought me to all the different shows. Maybe if you're a dad out there, maybe start taking your kids to card shows and build up a cardboard. And the mom would like that. Okay. Good save there. Okay. Your question. Yeah. So what has changed the most since you started collecting? the digital aspect, the instant gratification. If you want something, it's out there. What we're seeing, a lot of the increased pricing and world record prices is people putting ridiculous buy it now prices and somebody saying, I'm just going to pull the trigger and I'm going to have it. I'm done. And then that establishes a new standard, a new baseline kind of. So the instantaneous nature of it, like your background, my background too, data analytics, the data used to be hard to get but there wasn't that much of it. So it wasn't easy to assimilate, but you could analyze the data because there wasn't an overwhelming amount of it. Now there's an overwhelming amount of data that's out there. And if you crunch it with computing power, which you certainly should use, but don't understand what the data is behind it, that there can be outliers and things like that, then it puts it in a different frame than it was when I got started. So I liked it better in the old days when you knew what was going on and you adjusted based on what you saw. But now you can't see everything. It's an international hobby. There's major shows going on all over the place. And eBay is not the only game in town. It's probably the biggest game, but there's so many places that my price guide buddies have to track. And uh, the card ladder guys, market movers, they're, they're scraping all that data. They're cleaning it up. That's a lot of work. Okay. It's work that wasn't even available, didn't even exist more than 25 years ago. But still, I, I welcome the progress. I'm a beneficiary of that because I think more data is better. And eventually it gives people confidence that this is a big hobby. You can look at the history and you can look at the recent history. And back when you were collecting data, did you send people to card shows and they would yeah. what ask dealers or how did that end up? Everything. Happening? We had people on the phone to the dealers. We had lots of people sending in surveys. We, we had somebody on the road every weekend. West Coast, Midwest, East Coast, every Toronto Expo, every big Chicago, Sun-Times. Actually, Florida was not that big at the time for shows, but we had tons of shops and dealers, that you know, regional correspondence and things like that. We did all the stuff that was available at the time, Brian, and now the data comes to you. You don't have to go out and find it. What We went out not just to find it, but to verify it. You'd have somebody telling you that they sold a card for 100 bucks, and they'd tell you that. But then somebody was at the show and they saw the card there for a hundred bucks at the end of the show. It was not sold. <laughs> we learned there's levels of trust. We learned who to trust more. I'm making an assumption here, but some people on the East Coast and West Coast might have completely different prices on what they're selling. Were you able to look at things like, okay, I know this East Coast dealers usually sell about 80% of what something's worth or someone on the West Coast and something 120% worth. Were you able to standardize it and create something based around that? The magazines having a price range was an attempt to, instead of giving just one price, you... You avoid some of that, but there were regional premiums, which you're able to see that there are not as many of those now, if you're going around to shows all over the country, that Braves sell for more in Atlanta. But in the old days, they sold for a lot more. You would probably discount kind of a hometown effect back in the day, because that wasn't the national market. But people in Atlanta knew 
that they were going to have to pay a little bit more for the, maybe not for the Falcons, but for the Braves. <laughs> like in Dallas, they'd pay more for the Cowboys. So there was some attempt to make it national prices. That's why we had analysts at both coasts. I'd like to say, Ryan, that the bigger shows had higher prices, but sometimes they had lower prices because there was more competition. So it was just making sure that we were seeing the big dealers, the smaller dealers, the big shops, the smaller shops, and trying to put it all together. This is the range that this card trades in. And uh, if we were perceived as too low one month, then the next month, it probably went up and we would detect that. We'd have people telling us you're too low, but they couldn't just tell us. We'd have to see it. And we did. We tried to be responsive, but not to the highest price that's under some special circumstances that somebody's paying more because it's their uncle or something like that. Okay. My question, you're at a show and you're a young guy and you have a good reputation and somebody walks up to you and says, they sent me to you because they said you were an honest guy. I've got a million dollar vintage card collection and I want to sell it. So I think you're impartial and you're young, what would you tell this person who's your dad's age and he's got a collection, all these 50 sets, nice condition, some of them already graded, knows what they're worth, a million dollars. What do you tell them? What do you advise them? Do you direct them some way? Or do you say, let me talk to my bank. I'll get right back with you. (laughs) I wish I could talk to my bank and get a loan for that. But right now I'm going after a house, so I can't do that. They're not going to have a second loan on that. But no, realistically, if they had that type of collection, what I probably would recommend for them to do is set up at a show if they already know what the value of all the different cards are, because that way they can have the experience of selling off those cards to collectors or other dealers, but they're able to get what they want for that card. Assuming they have the time that they can set that up and that they're willing to set up at the show. Otherwise, with all the marketplaces that there are out there, you can sell your cards to people international and there's buyers out there for everything. I like using my slabs. They have a 1% fee. There's eBay has probably between 8 and 13%. They knew of the authenticity side of things. You have ComC right there. If you want to have singles cards, they also do auctions. There's big sellers on eBay like Greg Morris or like Probstein that sell for people on there. You have auction houses like PwC or Golden. There's so many opportunities now to sell a card, whether in the past, at least what I've told is a lot of dealers will end up paying you 30%, 40% for a card, sometimes 60% if they're a generous dealer. But nowadays those are gone. Like Dealers are now paying at least 60, 70% on cards because they realize you have so many opportunities to sell cards wherever you want. But I'd I'd recommend if you had that type of inventory and you want to liquidate it all, set up at a show, experience it with someone else that's going to be purchasing your cards. Plus you can get what you ask for. Okay. That's spoken like a young person that has most of his life in front of him. If the guy was my age, he'd be thinking, I don't know that I want to take time to set up <laughs> shows. But what would you do? Hence, hence my 1% a month. I'm trying to get rid of 1% a month, but I'm not going to set up at shows, but I'm selling a little bit on eBay, a little bit on ComC. And I, I did a trade this past weekend at the card shows. So I'm starting to branch out and get back to my roots of, of just being a more general hobbyist. Okay. Obviously you've been to a lot of card shows, getting all that data. You've been to every single national. So besides the national, what have been some of your favorite like local card shows that you've been to? I'm loving the Dallas show right now because it's 600 dealers, mainly cards. So the national's number one. In spite of that, I would not say Dallas is number two of my experience. I think number two is Toronto Expo. I don't know if you've been up to Canada. I really want to, but with all the stuff going on, it's stuck at the border. I, th- I think that's a problem. And I've had custom situations going across the border, even though I was a publisher, and I've talked about that. But that's so much fun because it's a different element. And the Canadian people are really 
nice. A lot of great people up there. But Dallas is hard to beat right now. It's making me not go to other shows. I used to go up to Chicago. I used to go to New York. I used to, I just had some fabulous experiences of shows. But this Dallas show is pretty hard to beat with five or six a year with 600 tables with some out-of-towners and stuff like that. I, w- I went to all the big shows back in the day. There's a nucleus of really strong and nice guy, for the most part, collectors in each town. It, it, certainly in the 70s, it was like that. There'd be the local collectors. Everybody knew everybody. And that's when days were simpler. And I, r- I really enjoyed that. When you went to a different part of the country, you saw different stuff. Back in the days when there were more regional issues and more regional pricing. And I was always interested in what things were going for. I just couldn't buy because I didn't want to have a conflict of interest. Unless I bought a type card, which was not for resale. But I love the fact that shows are different. And some, I did like you. In that I'm sure I did more than 52 a year. You can do multiples on a weekend. Back in the uh, 80s and early 90s, you could go to four shows in a day in the Chicago area. They were 30 minutes apart and there were 50 tables in each one. Man, that's crazy. The most I've done so far is three. I had to drive from Orlando all the way to the east of Florida, back to the west coast in Florida. And I, I lucked out. I made the last show in an hour. Florida's a bigger state than most people think, but you're right. Thanks, Ryan Nolan. Thanks, everybody. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.